0: You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends.
1: Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and uh, I've missed you guys. I've been, I been. went to a conference last week, and so I couldn't see you guys. He's but back. He, here from Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Howdy, howdy. And down I was going to say, down in South Carolina. He's not here. But down together in the morning after ministry studios with Jesus looking over Andrew's shoulder, we got Andrew Larson.
2: As Jesus is always looking over my shoulder.
1: (laughs) And Timothy Miller.
2: Hello,
0: hello, hello.
1: All right. So, usually I wouldn't be the one to do this, but I have to say this Was last Sunday, yesterday, the greatest day of football ever?
2: It was not a bad Sunday at all.
3: I didn't watch one second of okay, okay. yesterday.
1: Jeff, you uh, must be
2: really I'm so, sick. Jeff's not I, I know. Well.
3: I usually would
2: watch football.
1: <laughs> it I did watch some hockey. Such, it was such the, the, the a good the Vikings Sunday. The Vikings-Bills game was Might one have been the of best the best game of all time. I
0: have
3: seen <laughs> highlights on YouTube. I mean,
1: the, the that was the most intense two minutes of football I've ever, ever seen. I mean, it literally like... Fourth down completions, crazy. One guy, the one vacuum receiver, caught the ball with one hand out of two hands of a defender. There was. Guys, I think f-
2: we need to ask the important question: Is Kirk Cousins good? What <laughs> happened?
1: <laughs> yeah, Kirk Cousins. Good. Ever since his he put is, the
3: chains on, dude. Like they called him dad. His dad is the pastor of a church in Orlando. They yeah, call him my my boy yeah, Javier games. Enrique
2: Sola works there.
3: Yes.
1: It's, uh, Kirk I, mean, I yeah, I was rooting for the bills. Kirk um, Fuggins. but, uh, yeah. but, uh, man, it was such a, it was such an intense game. And then, and then my Packers b- broke their five loss losing streak. Finally. Uh, oh, finally they win a season.
2: game and suddenly they're your Packers. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> how,
1: uh, how did the Bucks do? The Bucks they won were... in Germany. In Germany. Good they for what city?
2: the city. Uh, I think they're in Munich. And they were in Munich. Oh, yeah. And they played at 9.30 a.m. So we, we had the game at the on Byron, in our Munich fellowship Stadium, hall. I believe. Yeah, it was
0: awesome. I had the game on back in the sound booth area at Lakeview, so all my tech team could keep up to date with the score.
1: Wow. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. We were we
0: literally were giving score updates like during announcements when your home team is playing at times yeah. when you're having two services. It,
1: yeah,
3: I you like really it. get to see where the I- idolatry is, huh? Oh, yep. Yeah, like the, it. the
1: Packers played in Europe a couple weeks ago, and our attendance plummeted bro <laughs> like, <laughs> like no one was here uh how, how did the jags do
0: the jags suffered a 10 point defeat which you know the chiefs are not a bad football team yeah, and yeah. We, we we had a valiant effort we even recovered an onside kick on the opening play of the game which i've never seen before yeah, so that was kind of yeah, cool
2: well, you clearly have not played madden against me because <laughs> well, if you had
3: i have played yeah. nfl blitz against you and, talk about well that. we don't
1: have to go there yeah <laughs> jeff do you care about the ravens or no?
3: Oh yeah, no, they did They had a bye week yesterday, so oh, that's it, part of why it. I didn't didn't really pay attention to football. Got um, but yeah, I was still dealing with some head cold stuff. So mm. I thought yeah. you
0: were crying when we logged on. I thought, oh no, Jeff is in tears. We need to Dude, console I, him. I
3: mean, based on the camera here, I either look like I'm like weeping or some kind of alcoholic because my nose is so <laughs> red. right now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, Well, I... I, Hang on.
2: Speaking of the red nose, something that Tim and I had in our show notes for the previous podcast we just recorded, have you noticed that every commercial of every football game is featuring a super sexy Santa right now? I mean, there's the World Cup commercials with John Hamm as sexy Santa, but there's, like, multiple department stores that they have, like, the slicked-back, suspender-wearing, but, like, hipster, super good-looking Santa.
0: See, I stream everything, so whenever it goes to commercial break, it just comes up on my screen and says... Currently, a commercial break. So I don't actually see the commercials. They yeah, are I usually everywhere. Mute.
3: I usually mute during commercials because I, I, I use Hulu a lot. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times the commercials are like markedly louder than the rest of the show. For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I just yeah. mute during commercials.
0: And the Hulu ads after 10 o'clock, like the for him or for her ads. I'm like, okay, that's it's a lot. No one needs it's to hear much. that.
1: Well, yeah. well, um, so uh, I, I wasn't here last week because I was at Mosaics conference which is a multi-ethnic church conference. I have, I have a lot I want to share, but I don't actually have to share a ton because um, I actually lined up a couple interviews with a couple folks that I think would be really, really good. Um, I, I went to a breakout about multi-ethnic preaching that might be actually something that might be really. It would be it be good for our conversation here for the show and there's some a couple other folks that um, I don't know. It was so interesting, guys. There was. Um, You know, it was it was definitely fifty fifty men speakers and female speakers, and all the all all the women speakers were like pastors, like church, like clearly egalitarian, and um and there was a guy who was Pentecostal, and I realized in that moment I had never really sat in a true Pentecostal service or Pentecostal. Hold on, hold on.
3: You're telling me you went to a conference where half the speakers were women and it was multi ethnic and there was a Pentecostal there.
1: Pentecostal no way. guy, yeah, no
3: way,
1: way. way, <laughs> way. Um, and what was really cool is he was even like acknowledging how like his, you know, his beliefs. You know, he made a joke like, "I'm going to preach, but don't worry, I'm not going to pass out any snakes." Like he was making jokes about being Pentecostal with the crowd. It was. Really I cool. appreciate that. Yeah, it was. It was very self aware. But what was funny is this. Okay, so let me ask you this question, um, before I go any further, in your Church experience. From now till the till the first day you ever into church. What has been your experience with flag waivers and worship?
3: Pretty limited. Pretty limited. To, you, maybe a half a dozen services where it really was going on. Where you've seen
1: like, yeah, I, like people with flags.
3: Yeah. I'd say, And a lot I'd of it was same. when I was when I was in like a band that would travel around and lead worship at stuff. Yeah, we but
0: had I've we had a group R- at Lakeview for a time who was very into the dancing form of worship and every now and then they oh I remember they would bring out the (laughs) flags I don't I I don't know why it always made me so uncomfortable like it was just for whatever reason maybe we just didn't communicate it well the purpose of the reasoning behind it but I was just always like to me it was it was more distracting than adding to the the worship environment we'll drop the
2: lyric I'll raise a banner when we're singing my redeemer lives but then the second someone raises a banner dang it's weird
1: Drop that banner, yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, uh, it's it's, it's funny, Uh, like you said, Tim, it seems distracting. And one thing someone told me was, like, when you look at, like, these musicians, the the worship band that was at this conference, phenomenal. Like, they're just, like, and what I love about this band was, like, they they took a couple, like, 90 songs and then, like, made them just, like, just everybody was so excellent. But it was funny because someone said, you know, on a worship team, you'll have some of these musicians. They're, like, super talented musicians, been doing this for for decades. But when you look at the person waving the flags, they're, like, they've never taken a dance lesson in their life. <laughs> and, and and I was, like, they kind of look like they're raving. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're in high school with the glow sticks, they kind of look like they're doing that. And it's just, like, kind of just, like, I, I don't I can't play an instrument, but I'm just going to move my body with some flags.
3: I don't know. Is that the equivalent the, of like the, in our in our church context? Like, if you can't really play acoustic guitar, maybe you can run sound.
1: <laughs> no, no, you is can that maybe like, run you, this car- uh,
3: Hey, you're not an excellent musician, but hey, you could wave this flag, though. The church I was like at the, previously, the
2: in the the youth group, had eighty percent of the school's uh, color guard, and so I've been to way too many color guard competitions, and it but was just weird to went- me.
1: But that, but that, like color guard. Oh, they part, were good. Like, that's different. That's like legi- Like they're throwing that stuff in the air. Like yeah, What I different. don't
2: understand is a kid gets kicked out of school for bringing a Nerf gun to school. Yet the color guard girls can walk around with fake rifles all the time, and no one has she, any she, issue she, with she, it. She, she, that she, she, makes <laughs> no sense. What? Oh, I got a sword and a rifle, but the kid gets kicked out for the Nerf gun. What? All,
1: all I all I know is is what was interesting is at the, after the Pentecostal preacher spoke. So this conference up to this point. Just like a typical conference. It was really cool, like TED Talks, you know, every 8 minutes, 16-minute talks. And then there will be like a worship to interrupt, maybe a video, da, da 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 But it was very much like trying to be on time. At the most, it was like maybe running over about three minutes. The Pentecostal preacher spoke, and, I mean, he was a very captivating speaker. Then afterwards, there was a worship song, and there was people up front who were, like, not, like, they were, like, kneeling on the stage, like, they were not leaving the worship experience, and the band didn't know what to do. So they felt like, well, let's keep going. And then that's they're entering into what you know a lot of just called spontaneous worship. And I would say, from a worship side, the band crushed it. Like to see musicians do spontaneous worship, which is basically just like riffing, right? Like I would say, like it's just, it's just a band like having a jam session. Well, it takes like, a long time to play together. Oh, to you have like to like be so a really worship gay.
0: scat session.
3: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, prophetic like, prophetic they, worship, they,
1: they wove in like two or three songs, and it was, I mean, like, excellent. It was excellent, but then, but, but then, could the pro, pro
2: presenter p- guy keep up because that's a whole oh, different level? Tough. of... No, that's, no that's lyrics. a whole no, different no level.
3: No, lyrics no, no, lyrics, no,
1: no, no lyrics, no lyrics. This is all you know, the song, or you don't, <laughs> dude. The pro like...
3: presenter guy was kneeling on the stage. What are
1: you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, was with was a flag. Yeah, <laughs> what, what's interesting is it's like, um. Is like I was looking at the conference, the, the guy who ran the conference, and I was wondering, like, he's freaking out right now. <laughs> like, like, like he's probably like, this is going like twenty five minutes past what the scheduled time is. Like, how how much is this derailed the conference? And what was really interesting is right after that, when that finally ended, like twenty five minutes later, a woman came up to give statistics of about, I think it was about like immigrants and immig- and like immigrants assimilating into white churches. And, like, it didn't miss a beat. And I thought that was kind of cool. That, like, you went from this very ecstatic expression of worship to here's data about the nations coming to America and how they're assimilating in the church. And I thought it was, like, a, kind of an interesting moment. Someone acknowledged it later that we went from uh, this ecstatic worship to this. Anyways, all I have to say is, guys, it was a good conference. I, I didn't I, I, There was one person who uh, who listened to this podcast? Who saw me at the conference and said, "Hey Frank, I listened to Practically Pastoring. It was good seeing you here." And I was like shocked. Like I was like, "I didn't I didn't expect to know anybody." So this conf- this podcast has reach. All right, it, 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 uh,
3: Pentecostal reach, baby. <laughs>
1: I don't know about Pentecostal, but it but it but it, it it's uh it's definitely multi ethnic. If that makes sense. Would you say uh, that
0: the mosaic conference it had close to as many participants as next year's Practically Pastoring conference will?
1: O- almost as many. <laughs> almost, okay. Almost, uh, almost as many. For sure, practically
3: pastoring is going to be on time all the oh, yeah.
1: time. We're going to be efficient. <laughs> efficient. Yeah. No
3: question
2: there. Unless a group tries to go to lunch in Safety Harbor, because that makes it <laughs> a little bit tricky.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But when Jeff leads worship, um, and Andrew brings out his flags, um, <laughs> it, it, it might go long. Be ready. Be it be it ready. might go. It might go long. Do hey, you guys remember
2: uh, when di- when Crowder used to play Undignified all the time? That'll be me.
1: Uh... Oh <laughs> <laughs> here you go um well, yeah, well, that's a great transition Tim uh privately pastoring conference february 20th to the twenty second um it's going to be at in Tarpon Springs, Florida, at Lakeview Church. We are so excited uh, we want you there, um, we just had another sign up last night, I sent an email i was at I had a layover in denver, and I was like i'm gonna I'm gonna send an email to everybody about the conference. And, uh, and we're excited. Like, I can't wait for February. I hope you're excited, too. If you are interested in going, go to practicallypassingconference.com. Reach out to us if you have any questions. We can send you information about the hotel that's giving out discounted rates. Or you can get an Airbnb. Whatever you need to do, we want to see you there. <laughs> Sorry, February 20- twenty six. I had, like hiccups off. Professional. Professional. Hey, uh, let's dive in some questions. Uh, I really enjoyed a uh, uh, couple weeks ago. Where I just kind of uh, combed Facebook and found a bunch of different questions that I saw people asking, and so I want to ask some of the questions I've been seeing either in our Facebook group or other pastoral Facebook groups. Uh, let's start with the easy question, um, and this is a question that's very relevant to my to 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 happen our church because we are so time sensitive, like because we simulcast. Like if you go long, it affects everything else. Also, uh, like Tim, you have two services, right? Yep. So you have to be careful with how long your sermon goes because that's an issue for your kids' ministry. Um, you know, for it's an issue for kids' and-
0: ministry. It's an issue for the flow of traffic when you need enough time for people to exit mm-hmm. and more people oh, to enter. Parking good. is a major issue. So yeah, yeah you, we, you have to be time conscious.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question is this. How, what are tips for shortening your sermon? It's always shortening. No one's ever like, how can I beef up my sermon? It's always, how can you shorten your sermon? What are some tips that you use or that you've seen been effective?
0: I I would say that for me, uh, the biggest tip I could offer was, even if you don't do this, just try it out for maybe a month or two. Start manuscripting your sermons and then notice the word count and the length of your sermon. Because in about two weeks, you'll see, okay, I speak and my I typically speak at, a you know, 100 words a minute. So a 2700 word sermon is going to be a 27 minute sermon. So for me, it's I know once I get to around that 3000 word mark, that's a 30 minute sermon. I I don't I cannot go over that. Otherwise, again, like we said, we're going to have issues. So for me, it's instead of finishing the sermon and then trying to whittle it down, which I have had to do before, it's better Knowing in advance, here's how many words I can go uh, without, you know, going into a long sermon.
2: I'll I don't know if one up that, but I'll say you know some sermons, if there's a lot of scripture in my word count, I know that that is going to be read, and that's kind of that's a set speed. Whereas everything else, there might be extra comments or things set off the cuff that are in there, and so I will regularly have a paragraph or two that I have in a different color font in my notes. Because it's, you know, background information, you know, we've been going through acts. And so if it's, I want to kind of give the history of a city that we're talking about, or, hey, here's why this statement is made. And here's this little thing that makes sense. You know, usually a straight out of a commentary, not a whole lot of spiritual application, but just good to know and understand. And I will look at the clock when I get to that color of the text in my notes and be like oh okay here i am slower than i thought i would be at this point so i've got time for a little 2 minute aside or i know i don't have time for a 2 minute aside and so if i have a word count above you know 3000 or 3200 words i'll go through and look for a couple of paragraphs that i'm like okay what what don't i need here because what i do if i don't do that is i'm like okay well what application point at the end can i chop off And more often than not, people would rather have the application here. How does this scripture apply to my life than the historical background information on a city that has not existed in a thousand years? That for me as a history and Bible nerd, I love that. Give it to me all day, but might not be the most beneficial for my people.
1: Um, I think that uh, uh, an easy way that people... Are missing out on it is just like practicing their sermons. Like if you just practice your sermon and time it, what I do is I uh, I put my phone on airplane mode, and like I'm, I I sometimes I even get away from my phone and I just get my watch and I put on um I, I just use my timer on my watch and I I when I start my first words I hit start and then I end it right when I pray and that's a good way to time yourself and oftentimes when you say your sermon out loud for the first time. You start to realize the sentences that don't make sense or the logical sequences that don't make sense and then one tip that someone gave me a long time ago that was really helpful is take out the meta commentary from your text from your sermon so what i mean by that is like you know saying sentences like as we move along to our next point or like talking about the sermon in the sermon um You know, here I'm going to give you three points for this sermon. Like, all that is just fluff or content that, like, we've all picked up from, like, some other preacher. But, like, it's unnecessary words for your sermon. Um, And also, just, and and, and this is probably the cringiest one, recording yourself um, and listening back and hearing your ums and your uhs and all that kind of stuff will, will... Offend you, and then therefore, you'll like be more intentional taking them out because oftentimes that's adding stuff that's unnecessarily. And then, um, I want to hear what Jeff has to say, but the other thing is, uh, uh, be careful, be careful how often you use quotes (laughs) because I think oftentimes we use quotes to give ourselves more credibility that we feel like we don't have, and and that often because when you're reading, you're gonna read a little slower than how you talk, um, it's unnecessary. I would actually say if you have, I would, I would limit if you can limit yourself to one quote per sermon one good quote from one person is great anything beyond that just summarize the quote yourself you could say like uh you know tim keller said something like this and then say it yourself and or just don't don't quote it and and just rewrite the quote in your own words so that way you can internalize it and say it for yourself and that will speed up the, the process jeff what do you got
3: Uh, I would say all the same things. I was going to say the similar thing about the, um, the, what you called it, the meta, whatever, but like talking about the sermon in the sermon. But also uh, I found for me one of the challenges was not to uh, like talk about this Greek word and that translates into this too much. Sometimes you got to do it, but I think sometimes you can overdo that. Um, And then same thing with what Tim said. I know that about 3,000 words is roughly a 30-minute sermon, but I also know – when I preach live, I'm gonna say extemporaneous things uh, that's gonna add about five to seven minutes.
2: Excellent so use of extemporaneous.
3: We shoot, I mean, I felt bad about the meta thing, so I wanted to get another one in there. Um, we We shoot for about thirty to thirty five minutes, max. and I know uh, if I go back and look at my sermon, you know, like I pulled the YouTube video and I went forty minutes, it's because I said a bunch of extemporaneous things in the sermon that I thought of like after I finished writing the sermon. And I wasn't disciplined enough to not say it. Um, so if you think of something on Sunday morning, you're like, "Oh, I gotta say this." You probably don't. Um, and, and you know, so when you finish your sermon, let that sermon be. And then, if you say extra stuff on Sunday morning, that's a good way to make your sermon too long. And if your wife runs children's ministry like mine does, it's a good way to get your wife be upset at you. So don't do that.
1: Yeah, trust your notes. Like I think sometimes the reason why we're saying extra stuff in our sermons on the stage and we feel like we have to is because we don't trust our notes which
3: yeah which... i'm a bi- i'd be a big proponent of a manuscript as well oh even yeah. though like so my if you were to look at my notes it's a manuscript you could read it and what's funny is during covid there was one time when we did a online service and it didn't record right so i went back to do it like as a podcast and it was like 12 minutes shorter yeah when i just <laughs> when i just went back and read my notes and like yeah. you know tried to do it almost like a like where I was reading a script into a into a podcast, so that right. was really in, that that was kind of an interesting discovery for me. Yeah. So yeah, trust your notes, and like Tim said, I would totally manuscript, yeah. and then my notes are like a manuscript with bullet point highlights, and I have like a color code in Google Docs now. So I know, would, that
1: works well. I would be careful with I, I I there's this like there's this like thing that we say I I don't know why we believe it, but there's this belief that like. In order for preaching to be good, it has to be spontaneous, or it has to be like um, off the cuff or something. And I and like and they would and they would point to people like you know Paul or or um, Stephen. Like oh those sermons and acts were you know for sure like off the cuff. And I would lie. and my pushback would be I don't know if they're off the cuff as much as. Those men were living and breathing that day-to-day. So when confronted with the opportunity to speak, they were prepared. Does that make sense? And I think that when we, like, there's this idea that manuscripting a sermon is just like, not allowing the Spirit to work, but that is negating the idea that the Spirit isn't working in your sermon prep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
3: but but there ain't no 30-minute sermons in, in the Book of Acts. I know. They're yeah. like, I mean, the, those they're sermons like are like six three verses. minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Sinners in the Hands I... of an Angry God was read with Jonathan Edwards having you know his notes four inches from his face yeah. and the most powerful sermon in American history. So it's, it's not about your... <laughs> spontaneous delivery, it is about letting the Holy Spirit work and not getting in the way. And I I find for me, if I'm trying to, unless there's like one very specific Greek word that needs to be brought up, more often than not, what I'm saying is, look how smart I am. I took Greek when in reality, I got a D minus my second semester of seminary Greek. I I
3: also think, Andrew, like, especially younger guys, like, you know, if you're maybe under under 40-ish and you're at a church with a lot of-
2: of Not me. (laughs) (laughs) And you're at a
3: church with a lot of like mature believers. You can feel sort of insecure about yourself and go, I need to make sure that they know that I'm. And it's like they know they hired a guy under 40. Like they know that you're not that experienced yet and they wanted you anyway. So, you know, I I have a guy that I was helping with his ordination process in our church in our denomination. And that was one of the things I wanted to keep telling him because that was told to me like they wanted you. You know, they hired you knowing that you're very young. They're not expecting you to have 30 years of sermon preaching experience when they hired a guy who was 32 or 33. Like, you're probably going to only have a few years, and that's what they're expecting. And if, you know, I mean, in my case, they had a few recordings to listen to. They knew what they were getting. So just be you and continue to grow, And but don't try to add a bunch of extra things to try to, you know, weirdly deal with your own insecurities and make people think you're smarter than you are. Cause you're going to end up with 40 minute sermons and then definitely not going to like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say whenever you're like, cause sometimes the Greek word matters in the context of a sermon. It does. Yeah. But sure. I would say, I, this is what I'd say. Oh, this word in the original language means this. There's no need to flex your Greek pronunciations or talk right. about tenses and stuff like that. You can literally just say in the original language, it means this. And if, or put some bill mounts audio- up on
2: the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Bill Mounts. Mounce, <laughs> Mounce or if
3: is the some, man, dude. If What's
1: funny
2: guy,
3: is I'm thinking back to, to yesterday, and I definitely talked about the Greek word parabola. So, sure, but I'm if a, someone, I'm a hypocrite.
1: Yeah, but if someone wants to challenge you, and like, how do you know you can show? Like, one thing I've been slowly doing in my sermons is putting footnotes in my sermons for references. Yes, this is uh, good. In, in case, I mean, this could go. I, I think I started doing this when I started hearing the controversy of. Um, of people talking about, uh, what's it called, when you plagiarizing sermons. So whenever I have something that I know isn't original to me, but I'm not necessarily going to, in the sermon, necessarily fully credit the person, I put it in my footnotes. So that way, if anyone questions me later or asks me about it, I could say, oh, here's the link to it. It's already in my footnotes. And that's something I've been been doing somewhat regularly for like a couple months now. And, and, uh, And I don't feel as bad for not... Saying the person's name in my sermon or whatever. Well, I
3: think, too, and you were talking about quoting things out of, like, books. Yeah. You want to make sure you have those books in your notes somewhere. So if someone says, hey, was that, quote, your idea? And you can go, oh, no, it was in this book, and here it is, and yeah. I can send you the Amazon link. And that also shows a humility in, the, in you as a preacher. Yeah. Like, you're not yeah. you are not trying to act
1: like I come up with all this yeah. stuff myself. Uh, you said the – I think we've all said this is like – You know, talking about original language is good, and it's good. It's very, very important in your study, but it's unnecessary in the preaching. What's going to give you, as a young preacher, more um, collateral or buy-in from your people isn't how smart you can be perceived as, but how much how your vulnerability, your honesty, and how much you like show that you care for the people. And so, like I've talked about this before, like, um, um, you know. Me talking about my Greek, like like I even said this is like here's the Greek word, and the only reason why I know this is the Greek word is because I looked it up in a book that told me what the Greek word is. But when I preached about infertility, I've earned so much collateral and respect and buy-in from my people because i'm showing I'm showing my cars, I'm showing my life to my people and and that like lived experience that I have of me being dependent on God has led people to, to buy into my preaching more than me flexing some Hebrew or Greek. So, I don't know. Vulnerability and honesty, I think, is as a young preacher, will get you more buy-in than um, flexing Greek and Hebrew. Uh, hey, uh, here's another question, all right? Uh, I, got, I forgot what Facebook group I found this in, but I thought it was an interesting question that um, I think at least maybe – Tim and maybe Jeff can, can relate to this. Andrea, you're like basically in like we've the talked Vulges. about this at my church. You're, you're in the villages, right? You're like in the senior citizen center. Oh my gosh! No,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I am, my my church is a block from an elementary school.
1: Oh, and you have a preschool in your church too, right? Yeah, we have or a preschool in our church. <laughs> I'm just
2: the kidding. villages. <laughs> our old people do like to hook up though, not All here right, at the church, not... just in the neighborhood <laughs> just in the neighborhood. Oh my
1: gosh! <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um... I'm preaching in the suburb. I'm pastoring in the suburbs, and the neighborhoods around the church are loaded with children. Most of them are not at a church on Sunday morning. This got me to thinking is this a possible opportunity to revive the old bus ministry in my neighborhoods? In the neighborhoods to get the children plugged into our children's ministry and connect families to the community. What are your thoughts and experience with this? Mm -hmm. I'll I'll add this one caveat. I was talking to a pastor in. in Phoenix where I was a at a wedding and, uh, and uh, she told me that uh, there's a lot of kids in her community, but they're not living with their parents they're living with their grandparents. And that's an interesting like kind of dynamic is grandparents raising up their grandkids. And so how can they get how, you know, how do you get those families into your church and things like that? So what are your thoughts to this question? Lots of kids. Do you bring a bus ministry? Is that creepy? What do you do?
3: <laughs> I mean, my first thought is insurance. And it scares me.
2: Yep. That was my thought of, ugh. but it's such a classic ministry.
0: Like my, my grandfather started the bus ministry at their church in the fifties. And it was like one of the most vibrant and God honoring. And he, you know, and it was awesome for 1950. Like, could it be done today? Maybe, but you're going to have to jump through some legal hoops to pull it off. But,
2: but just, th- just in general, send you know the hey kid, go to this church that mom and dad don't go to. I know does not know. exist in our in, culture that, the same that way. That happens.
1: That happens a little bit in student ministry, though. Though, like it, it happens does. in
2: student ministry, student student, but student it doesn't churches, happen with a with a second grader.
1: Um, do you think this depends on uh, the community you sit in, or like kind of universally sending second graders to a church without the parents weird?
0: No, I think context matters. My, I had an aunt and an I, uncle I who up until up until five years ago, their full-time job was leading the bus ministry at their church. They were full-time staff at their church. They only coordinated the bus route. That's how many wow. kids they bussed in on Sundays. Wow, like that's, wild. That was wild to me. So it, it can still be a very real and vibrant ministry, but well, the only one I know of most recently, he was a pastor about a mile north of me. They had an awesome bus ministry for years, and just a few years ago, they ended up selling the buses and shutting it down. So I don't know of any current bus ministry like in our area that's that's rocking and rolling anymore
2: you can get ministry safe ads to sell on the side of the bus (laughs) (laughs) nice
1: well so what so put the bus ministry aside how do you if you have a community full of children which means it's hopefully full of families what are you doing to bring them into the church
2: you start a flag football league you start a preschool you have a vacation bible school with bounce houses and dunk tanks and you host the community fall fest or whatever you do what you can do to reach out to the community to involve the whole family but the idea of getting kids to come on a regular basis without their parents i just don't think that's where our culture is i don't know you know every now and then i'm amazed that public schools exist the way that they do And that is with security everywhere and everybody background checked to the hilt.
3: Yeah, I think Frank, for us, we would probably ask a different question, not like how do we get them into the church, but how do we kind of like as a church serve the kids that are in our community? Um, And I don't mean that to be judgmental or like say anybody's wrong. I'm just saying that's um, so what we're doing is a couple things. Number one is we're very connected with the school that's across the street. Um, and we are, you know, a few of our um, moms at the church are uh, volunteering at the school uh, right now. We are working on a Thanksgiving dinner for the community, where it's a free thing. They have to register because we have a, you know, a small building, so we can only serve about fifty people. Uh, we've done Thanksgiving baskets in the past, and this is kind of an interesting thing. But we realized when I was handing out the frozen turkeys, these young single moms did not know how to make a turkey, so I was like handing them anxiety and panic because they were like what do i do with this. So this year we have a lady in our church who is spearheading just a free dinner. You just come with your family. Um and then the, the last thing that we are doing specifically for outreach is um our building is available for kids to have birthday parties and people to have baby showers. Um they can we have like an online form they can fill out and schedule their own thing. And uh man, that's really kicked off since July. I think it's been almost every weekend. It's, we've had somebody from the community having a birthday party or a, a baby shower in our building.
1: That um the post quarantine book by Tom Rainer. Yeah. He talk he talks about like one way for your community. Man, dude, because like one thing I'm hearing more and more of from like cynical people who are cynical towards the church is the fact that we have these big buildings and we don't use them for six days of the week. Right. And one of Tom Rainer's things is creating a space for people to either have free or very affordable spaces for a birthday party. a can't yeah. all that kind of stuff. People are and very,
3: very grateful when we, I mean, we, we ask for a $50 deposit and that you'll get it back because our neighborhood is very low income. It's a, I mean, it's mm. a poor neighborhood, Yeah, yeah but yeah. most of the time people will just say, I'll just, just keep the 50. You know, I'm so grateful to have a party. So we have a little, you know, we have a room where we can fit 50 people with tables and chairs and they're just, I mean, it's like perfect for a kid's birthday party. Yeah. And we are one of the only buildings in our neighborhood with a parking lot most things here other than the schools have street parking so you know we're kind of set up to serve the community that way and it's it's been a meaningful thing and i've gotten to share the gospel with like i mean 30 families that i would not have come in contact with otherwise just you know oh. when i'm walking them through the building i just give them my little spiel and i kind of make a joke about it you know that's great oh well, i am the pastor so i gotta you know and uh it's been really effective in that regard so
1: a- andrew you said you were doing stuff with the schools has that been more effective with just like, you know, caring for teachers, or has it really been effect like positive for families?
2: Let me t- the the most effective thing that we've ever done is have my wife teach in a special needs classroom at the school. Mm. We had um, we we had yeah, our big uh, Thanksgiving thing yesterday at the church, our dinner of thanks, and a family that's been here for maybe a month and a half, two months, because they they've got a son who's on the autism spectrum, and. Um, They they came because they were at one of the big – they were at Countryside, so where you guys used to go to concerts and stuff. Um, They were there, but they kind of – with a special needs kid, kind of felt like they were not having their needs met, and it was almost like where can we – how can we pull this kid out to keep him from interfering with the big, cool kid service? And when they found out that his teacher at school was married to a pastor and ran the children's ministry, they were like, hey, we – we're here, and they've been like the best ambassadors for our wow. church the past couple months as well. So I didn't realize that not everybody's wife is a special needs teacher. So that's very specific to our context. But yeah. we've also, and we we have not done this here, but we've partnered with the the Baptist Church that's here in downtown Safety Harbor in sponsoring the Good News Club at the elementary school, which is very much like a Southern Baptist thing. That CEF very... child. fellowship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but instead of saying, Hey, let's get the kids to church on Sunday morning. It's no, let's bring a Sunday school class to the church after, I'm sorry, to the school after school on a Thursday or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. And it's a cool idea because I'm reading this question again and and to the pastor, who's, you know, obviously got a heart for his neighborhood, for the kids in that neighborhood. I mean, would it be such a bad idea to go to the neighborhood and just ask, Hey, would this be helpful? Mm. Would, would it, would you would you be open to us bringing your kids to church on a Sunday morning? Like, would, would that be like a service to you to maybe give you a little bit of a breather on a Sunday? Or would it be more helpful to say, how can we serve you right where you're at in your community? I mean, it sounds like the church is right there in the community already. So I love Jeff's idea of opening up the church to letting them use the space. It's something we've been doing at Lakeview. We just held my daughter's eighth grade November social uh, at, at lakeview and, and it was awesome we'll do a super bowl watch party there in a couple of months too and we've got a baby shower coming up for another one so i think that's a great idea but I, I would just talk to as many families as i could it sounds like you're in the area already you're right there in the neighborhood why not do some some canvassing and see if anybody's open to to sitting down and talking with you a little bit
3: yeah I, what... I went to um a, a lecture at a seminary here last week and one of the things that they were talking about was specifically ministry to the To the poor, and um, they quoted this. I I don't remember. It was some bishop from South America, but he basically – I really like this quote. He basically said, you know, people in your neighborhood are not an idea. They have names. Mm. So, like, one of the best ways you want to learn how to minister to those people is go for a walk and meet those people and talk to them, know their names, know who they are, and then you can begin to see. And and that's what happened with the birthday party thing. I mean, it was an idea we had through the connection at the school. We realized people – and through a Facebook group that's uh, for my – zip code people are constantly asking hey does anyone know if there's a hall i can rent for does anyone know if there's a place i can do this and there aren't a lot of options so we said man i mean and also there's an added benefit of like you've got motivation now to make sure your building is like kept up you know and looking good because you got people coming in i'm sure tim you've experienced this people from the neighborhood come in and they go wow i've never been in here before this is nice you know and then you're it's just like an open door to talk about yeah and we have children's church on sunday i'd love to have your family it's a it's a it's a to me it's a win win. Yeah, it we've had a ton of face. great comments on
0: our facilities. I think that Jeff, that's a good point because sometimes we especially when you're in an older church building, you, you start to neglect, not not even intentionally, you just kind of forget because you, you see. Remember it all those time Glade
3: that. commercials about going nose blind? Yes. That's what like, happens at church. So exactly. My favorite
2: quote from uh Deep and Wide, the Andy Stanley book is time in erodes awareness of. And it was he was talking about looking at things with fresh eyes, and it's one of those I think I read that book maybe 2013 i know i still living in my previous house so it's I read been it three times it's been quite a while but that quote time in erodes awareness of is something that has stuck with me for the past decade from that book
1: mm-hmm. um you know one pushback you'll get jeff with the idea is like well what about the wear of your building you know you know the upkeep and and you know you're, you're gonna if you have so much foot traffic throughout the week you're gonna have to update the carpets you're gonna have you know pipes get whatever and and one thing i've been saying recently is uh we have these like um tall bar top tables in our lobby and kids have been knocking them over because um, they're like, running around the lobby playing around. They've been knocking them over. Karate kicking them. <laughs> Kia! <laughs> literally, <Knocked> him <laughs> I like that security footage of this one two year old that just like pushed it over and turned around and walked away. Like those movies with the explosion behind them. He's like, I don't care. And just, it was really cute. It's awesome. Um, and there's dents in the table. And there's been people, uh, older people who don't have kids anymore, who are like, Frank, you should say something to these families, tell them to control their kids, da da da. And um, one posture I've decided to take is, If having dented tables means that we have children in this church, I'll take dented tables. Dent them up, baby. I mean, I'd rather have dented tables. And of course, uh, there's
3: a limit to that, right? Yeah, we don't want to blow up. It's the same thing with renters. I came in to uh, get something out of the church kitchen one night because I live in a parsonage, and I went into the church kitchen and the entire there was a gigantic pot on the stove that took up all four burners with all four burners on full blast and nobody was anywhere near. The kitchen, they were all in their service. So you got stuff like that where you're like, okay, well, yeah, we're, we're going to be generous with our building, but we're not trying to burn it down either. Yeah, so, yeah for, sure, for sure. But uh, th- the way I talk about it with my folks, it's a culture change. you got You got to shift the yeah. culture, yeah. and you got to help people to see, look, the church, the building of the church is not a storehouse. This is not a museum. This is a clearinghouse. This is an asset that we have that we use. So it's good for us to have to replace carpet a little sooner because that means there's people in here. And we're yeah. about people. It's good for us to have to fix dents in the wall and paint the wall. Those are pretty cheap things to have to do in order to, you know, to remember that there's people walking through our building, uh, which hopefully means they're hearing the gospel and, and connecting with people at the church. So, yeah, the church, you know, the church is a clearinghouse. It's not a storehouse.
1: Uh, let's let's. I want to bring up this final question. I think this was from um, the 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 uh, the Facebook group. Uh, and if you want to join our Facebook group, that practically pastoring search practically pastoring on Facebook, you'll find us. So uh, this is the guy who who is reading the book Surviving and Thriving in Seminary: An ac- Academic and Spiritual Handbook. And I believe in the appendix, it talks about how to pay for seminary. And he highlighted this paragraph and was asking a question if if church is doing anything like this. And so the, the highlighted sentence says. There are frequent, frequently times during the year when an extra offering is taken, either a second offering during a service or a fifth Sunday in a month. Churches often use these offerings to go to something other than the operating budget. Ask the, ask the each year, uh, this is kind of cut off, um, one of these special offerings go towards your seminary education. Ask that it be announced and put in the bulletin at least a month ahead of time. And so this idea of like, Take a special offering to be able to help pay for a pastor's seminary expenses. So my question to you guys is in your church or in church settings you've been in the past, if you are a pastor and the church wants you to go to seminary, who pays for that? Is that something you as the pastor need to figure out, take out loans, do what you got to do? Or is that something that you feel like the church should should pay for? And if so, is that something the church should make a line item in the operating budget? Or would you ever do something like this where you take an extra Sunday, fifth Sunday, extra offering to be, to be able to, to pay for it? Or is that embarrassing? Is that weird to be like, hey... I want to have a greater education. Can you pay for me? Knowing that there's congregants who've either paid out of pocket or have paid for their kids' education um, on their own. What are your thoughts?
2: The church I was at previously, the youth pastor before me was being sponsored by the presbytery, so the Tampa Bay region of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, to go through seminary. And it was so awkward for me as the new youth pastor who had come in, having paid myself for my seminary, because he would just show up and hey guys, here's what's going on. By the way, I need an extra forty thousand dollars to last until next year, and it was super super awkward for oh, me. And Dow
1: seminary because that's forty thousand no, dollars. He didn't know
2: he he went to like oh. Cumberland's. No, no, he went he went to Columbia Seminary in Georgia, which is mediocre at best. Uh, <laughs> whereas whereas but Columbia, North, if you,
1: if you want to, Columbia, if you want to sponsor the probably pastoring conference, we'll take it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, because we know that your graduates definitely need some of the content that we'll have wow. at the conference. Wow. Joking, guys. Sheesh. Joking. But seriously, go to Dallas. Go to a real school. Um, But th- it was super awkward for me, and it became awkward for the congregation. I don't think they had ever done that before. I think a lot of the people thought this was going to be like a one-time thing, and he kept showing up and asking for more. And at one point, there was a scholarship fund that the church had – and I had the associate pastor and an elder say, Hey, you're still taking like, you know, what yet? Had, I had one or two classes left at Dallas. Um, they said, Can you please apply for this scholarship? Because he's applied for this on top of what else we're giving him. And we just think that that's ridiculous. So we want you to apply to this so that we don't have to give it to him as the only applicant. Wow. It was awkward. It was awkward. So wow. I would say if, if your denomination requires you to have a seminary degree, it might be a different conversation. Yep. But if you are currently serving in your role and you know you were hired to that role and now you want to I, – I don't know. I The first church I served at, one of the reasons that they gave for why I should no longer be there was, well, we don't think that you need a seminary degree for the role that you're in and you want a seminary degree, which is also kind of bonkers. You were pursued to free uh, – uh, I was free to, free to pursue seminary full time. Was some of the language that they used, which I still laugh about twenty years later. Not twenty, I'm not that old. It's close, but, but close. Andrew, all
0: this coming from you, a guy who's currently enrolled and at the paper mill that is Liberty University Online.
2: First of all, how dare, like, how dare you? Wow. And and mill. my my elder, but my elders approached me to say, hey, we know that you are thinking about doing a, a Doctor of Ministry. We think you should do it, and we want to pay for it. it see, was, this is
0: the key, I think, to this conversation is have you have you. Spoken with the elders, the leadership of the church, where are the priorities at? What's already written into the budget? For me, look, I'm three weeks away from graduating seminary, <laughs> New Orleans Theological Seminary. Excited about it. You forgot the Baptist. I leave that part out. Um, but written into the budget, part of the pastoral salary package was uh, a continued education. So that continued education was f- freed up for me to use however I see fit. I can go to conferences, I can take seminary classes, I can do whatever I want with that money allotted to me because that is part of my continued education. Granted, that means I serve at a church that believes that the pastor should pursue some type of continued education on an annual basis every single year, whether he's finished seminary or not. So that being said, I, I don't have any debt. I have not paid a dime of my own seminary. It has been funded um, through that account from the church. Now, has it paid for it completely? No. Um, we've had specific donors who have believed in me finishing my education, so they actually gave directly to that account.
2: What's the last name of those donors? I'm not going to get into that. Does
0: it rhyme with killer? <laughs> I am not going to get into that. I'm just saying hey, that there are some people who believe Are, in are your it, parents
2: so. members of your church?
0: I Both my mom and my dad are members of the cool. church. Cool,
2: cool, cool, cool. <laughs>
3: Um, one simple way to deal with this is the way that I'm dealing with it, which is, um, have the treasurer of the church be a graduate of the seminary that he wants you to go to. And then he'll just, uh, campaign for you to go. And then you can just sign up and go, which is what uh, I am going to do in the, sp- starting in the spring. Um, no, there's a seminary here that has a, uh, program where you pay a third, the church pays a third and the seminary picks up the other third. Um, so look for things like that, scholarships, you know, anything you can take advantage of, uh. I would say as much as you can avoid loans, um, if possible, but I think it's a, it's a church culture thing. I think if you're in a, I'm thinking specifically of a small church, if you're in a small church that really doesn't value that, uh, then you are probably going to have a pretty hard time making that ask. I don't think you can drive that either as the pastor. I think it's a pretty tough thing for you to stand up and say, Hey, I'd like to pursue this thing that none of you really value. Can you fund me like that? That's a pretty tough sell and you may sacrifice some leadership capital, um, but if you're in a church where, you know, even like what Tim said, maybe there's a couple people with, uh, you know, postgraduate degrees who value that kind of thing, maybe they can begin to champion it, uh, for you, you know, I mean, I've been here five years. I've wanted to go to this seminary since I got into town. Um, but it just didn't, you know, I mean, obviously the COVID years would not have been a good time to go, but, um, so it just is the right time. And, um, you know, so the church has agreed to pay that third, for me to go. And, um, I, I like the idea of at least me paying a little bit, uh, for me that, that will give me some skin in the game. Um, part of my nerves about seminaries is I was a terrible student in a, as an undergrad. I was very undisciplined. Why are you shaking your head? Yes, Frank, I see that. I was very undisciplined. <laughs> and, I was too. I was, too. <laughs> <laughs> I was very undisciplined, but you know, that was 10 years ago and I'm a different person now. And, um, you know, hopefully I've grown up some, so, you know, it just seemed like the right time, but, as far as who pays for it, now I would say for this quote, I don't think that's a terrible idea um, to take up an extra. I mean, people do that for like Pastor Appreciation Month. Maybe you take that and pay for some books or something. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But again, I think if you're the if you're like a new pastor and you're coming into a church, you probably can't drive that and make that change yourself. You probably need some allies uh, to to bring some of those ideas to the table. Otherwise, it just it can kind of look like you're there. To use the church to get something that you want. And you don't want that.
0: But it is a church culture thing. Because like this whole special offering. like We have it written into our policies. That we do not do special offerings. Period. Ever. So like you have to know the church culture for sure. Andrew and I had lunch with a young guy. Just a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was a month or two ago. And the senior pastor actually called Andrew and I. Because the senior pastor did not go to seminary. But a guy that he was mentoring. And his part-time staff is wanting to pursue seminary. So he called in Andrew and I. To have lunch with him. And himself as the pastor with his guy. And there was it was really interesting because the senior pastor actually said, hey, look, I get that you want to pursue seminary. Just know it might not be a good look because we have elders who don't believe in seminary. I was like yeah. – that was a, that was a baffling – that was a baffling thing to me. But again, that comes back to knowing your church
2: culture. And <laughs> with, uh, referring to – seminary a cemetery (laughs) that joke
1: will never get old well there's a there's a phrase that someone said that seminary is where pastors go to lose their faith and so i mean i'll I'll say this i i am at a church that really values seminary one side of it that if you do go to a church that will pay for your seminary be ready for um offers that say if we pay for your seminary you are committing to stay at the church for at least two more years after you complete the program. You know what I'm saying? like, um, you know, There's a lot of like, times where like when, when a church is willing to pay for something supplemental like that, they'll make a caveat that says, well, if we do this, we want to guarantee that you'll be here another however many years because the fear is that you're only going to work at this church because they'll pay for your schooling. Because the moment you get that education, you have now entered into a different kind of pay bracket for most churches. Now, what might ch- you, uh, you'd I don't say know. that?
2: But no, okay. Well, <laughs> I, well I, I don't some know what church- pay increase you're expecting when you get
3: yeah. that piece of paper. Small church pastor life.
1: Well, <laughs> but, that's true. That's true. But some churches, some churches, what they all end up doing is um, they'll see the payment of your education as a part of your salary package. Yeah, and then once you graduate from that school they'll roll that money into your salary mm-hmm. um so which is great so if, you, if the if, if yours if you're if you were getting paid it's great incentive five, five grand a year on top of for, for school right now you can add five grand to your salary like that's a pretty great incentive to want to stay um uh and it's also a way for churches to to honor you by saying hey you did the hard work for our church to get an education here's how we're going to honor you uh, you're right. Though. I don't want to. I don't want to speak naively to the to smaller churches that may not, you know, are nickel and diming. They're, they're you know they're taking extra offerings to be able to pay for for this. It's not like the extra offering is like okay. Every fifth Sunday is to add to my salary package. Like you don't want to, you can't you can't go down that route either. You know what I'm saying so when, film, Tim, when my
2: elders said that you know they wanted me to pursue this, one of the caveats that I made was I said I'll, i I will do this, and I'm thrilled that you want to pay for it, but with the understanding that if, you know, starting today, I need to be here at least five more years or I'm paying it all back. And, you know, kind of what you're saying, Frank, with the, with the two years thing, there's no way to actually enforce that. We don't have like a legally binding contract. That's just, it's a character issue. And so for us, we're planning on being here, but it's also a neat way to be like, all right, I said neat. Remember when I just turned 40, and now I use word, words like neat Neato. in conversations. <laughs> but it's, it is a good way to kind of attach yourself to that church like, hey, for the next couple of years, despite what my resume might look like, I am not going anywhere. I'm not answering those phone calls or those emails because I've made this commitment. And so I think that makes it a win-win for the church and the pastor as well. But I also think if the pastor is the one that initiates that conversation, it can make things really awkward if the church is not, does not have that kind of history, which is why I'm very grateful that I was not the one that had to initiate that conversation.
1: Um, Question. I, just because this is a little foreign to me. I, I, Tim, you said that your church decides to never do special offerings. Uh, Andrew and Jeff, ha, or and Tim, you can answer this too. I've never heard of this phrase, special offering. Like, So so, have you ever been a part of a church or seen a church do special offerings? And what does that money go towards? What does that mean? Well,
3: you, it's usually when there's a – so we did, we did a love offering – a couple weeks ago, because we have um, we had a missionary come through, um, so that would be an example of like a special offering. Um, some churches, that's how they do a big missions push. You probably do year end, year end offering giving stuff, right, Frank? If,
1: if that's considered a special offering, that, that yeah. could be.
3: But yeah, yeah. I also was going to bring up. I also am not. A, I'm not a big fan of doing special offerings like this. I'm also not a big fan of designated giving, like too much of it. Like a little bit is okay. You know, that's fine. But when I came here there was like 6 or 8 different categories of designated giving. And what can happen there I don't know about larger churches but in a small church you can have people who are sort of running an end around around the budget and prioritizing their own things and not submitting really to the leadership of the church. You know, and what you see in in the New Testament is people laying their stuff at the apostles' feet and there's a trust there that we you know we trust in the leadership. So if you see that kind of thing to me that might be a red flag of like there's some there's some broken trust between leadership and people when they're doing things like oh well you didn't budget enough for this this ministry that I care about so I'm going to do designated giving towards you know whatever ministry that I care about that the leadership has decided we don't want to do that. And you could, I could see yourself getting into a sticky situation with this kind of seminary thing does, if you allow that to happen. Does I, I taxes... know of someone
2: who got busted with taxes for that, and it was a thing where they had set up a scholarship fund at the church that their kid was the only person that was going to qualify for that scholarship. Yeah, it was super and, shady. And so they were saying, hey, here's this here's a scholarship that my kid is going to get. And this was, this was an elder in the church, not the, not the pastor. And so it was a, so I'm going to get the tax write off of making, you know, cutting this $40,000 a year check to the church that is going to pay for my kids school. And it was bad. They got in trouble.
1: Well, I was going to say, I I heard if you have, I, I just, I don't, I don't know the tax side of churches very well, but I've heard that like designated giving can get you into some kind of sticky messy waters when it comes to Well and it. if
3: you do things with the money that aren't specifically for that designation they can demand it back too. Yeah. Um and that can wow. get you in some trouble as well. So I would say you're better off having a budget that everybody speaks into in a congregational meeting and you know you kind of set the culture like look if you are not f- satisfied with it next year let's talk about it. But this is a practice of submitting to the leadership and submitting to one another in love. That the leaders are going to listen, and then once we make a decision, we make a decision together.
1: Cool. Well, that I mean, this was uh, this was interesting. I didn't know much about you know designated giving like that, and yeah, what Andrew just shared sounds like pretty uh, pretty dangerous place to be if you're if you're creating designated giving that's going to help you profit. I, I just feel like special offerings sounds like um, sounds like the stuff where. Uh, the, the one time I heard of a special offering was I was at a concert and it was at, it was like a hip hop concert at like a kind of a prosperity gospel-y type of church. And in that service, they said, we're going to take a special offering. And the guy who was preaching said like, and you could put anything in the bucket. You could put your necklaces, your earrings, your gold teeth, put that lay this offering, the special offering to the Lord. And so when I, when I hear special offering, I, I have this like twinge of like, Prosperity gospel, but it makes it special offering. Is just like how can we do stuff outside the operational budget to have the money for it, and that makes sense. Um, and one, one the, way to
2: get around this is just to to pay clergy. I mean, just yeah. in 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 general, a reasonable you're looking salary. What yeah. about you know four hundred five hundred dollars per credit hour for most seminaries in the United States right now, and so you either you either hire someone who is as qualified as you want them to be. And then pay them like they have the qualifications that you want them to. Or if you want someone to eventually get that, you know. But but paying clergy the right way so that they're not having to be like poppers saying, hey, guys, uh, can we pass the offering bucket one more time? That's uh, that's a bad look. And well, that I, could be- I get it. Seminary is expensive. I put my life on hold for four years to move to Texas. And it was something that we felt that we were doing out of obedience to God. But – Churches paying their people certainly uh,
1: helps make that easier. If you're a church that's like, you know, and you're on a search committee looking for a senior pastor and you find a candidate that is actually very gifted, like he and he has maybe some like some of those natural leadership aspects, but he doesn't have seminary degree and you want that, put that a part of the of the of the the off the the package right the hiring package, and say that money will roll into your salary the moment you graduate I, I think that's like a one that becomes a very much more enticing deal for a potential senior pastor and if they're a younger guy, they would probably would want to jump on that too because then they they are guaranteed schools will be paid for it. but my my the, grades are, are there, so much
2: higher right now than they had than they were when I was oh. at Dallas, and part of that is because it's liberty versus Dallas, sorry. Liberty. But a, a big part of that is when I was spending my own money, it was, well, okay, if I have to drop this class and retake it, fine. But now that I'm spending the church's money, dude, that's
0: a major that is point for me a too.
2: major, that's a okay. I, I'm not taking this class right. again. I'm not going to yeah. say to the treasurer, hey. No, I'm not going to and-
0: squander the, what the church has given to me. So for me, not using my own money has been even more incentive to mm-hmm. Do so the work, I, get it done. I and think skin
2: hard. in the game is important, but also my th- th- church's th- skin is in the game. That's yeah, even more yeah, important that's for me. Even yeah, scarier.
1: Yeah, I have a, a 3.8 GPA right now, and when I played in high school, i I barely got out of the twos <laughs> in high school. And in college, like, I don't know. I I remember I failed Hebrews class, <laughs> Doctor Parsons' Hebrews class. And I remember like when I got the when I realized I failed, I was like. I don't even know who the author is, so who cares? <laughs> that's like that's my that was my response to why I, I was so like I I just I hated the class I hated school is not something I enjoyed back then for some reason now a decade plus later like I I enjoy the study I enjoy the reading I don't I'm not thrilled about writing papers but I can write a paper a lot easier than I could I, there's something that happened in my brain where like writing a paper isn't as difficult now as it was when I was 20 and I was like. I, I, What's MLA? I don't know. It was. It's, it's a different world we're it's in. It's
2: almost there. like your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you're 25. Hmm. Wow. If only someone would have told us that. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah. Crazy.
1: Well, hey, uh, I think we had a good discussion. We talked about shortening our sermons. We talked about seminary. We talked about kids' ministries. We didn't talk yeah. about
2: shortening the podcast.
1: Oh, no. But we're at a good length, <laughs> and we're about to end it right now. So with that said, I hope you come to the Practically Pastoring Conference Uh, Go to com. Let us know if you have any questions. Uh, We have different discount codes floating out there. So if you want to save some money, reach out to us. We we got you. Share this podcast with a friend, please. If there's someone you know that would benefit from this content, pass it around. Pass it to someone. Uh, With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson.
2: I'm Andrew Larson.
1: And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Partly Pastoring. See you next time. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook
0: group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.